0: this episode is brought to you by Soundstripe. For the quality of music Soundstripe offers, you can't find a better price. Save 10% on a subscription by going to Soundstripe.com and using the promo code NOFILMSCHOOL at checkout. Create with confidence. Create with Soundstripe.
1: Hey everybody, this is Liz Nord and you're listening to the No Film School Podcast. (music) is a phrase thrown around so much starting to feel like a cliche. But the fact is that there's more programming being created for more platforms than ever before, which means that there's more work for people in the film and TV business, particularly in one crucial part of the process, post-production. But just how do you break into TV editing? What can you expect once you do? And what does it take to be a really good editor for television? To find out, I spoke with two of the best, Amy Peters and Tanil Udhoff, each of who received an Emmy nomination this year for their work. Amy is a director and producer who has more than 25 TV series editing credits under her belt and also happened to cut an early trailer for my documentary, Battle for Jerusalem. And Tanil has been in the TV editing game for almost 20 years and has worked on some of the most popular reality and docuseries like Wife Swap and American Pickers. I think you'll really enjoy our candid conversation about how to make it in the TV editing business. Welcome to the No Film School podcast. Thanks for
2: having us. Thank you.
1: I'm so excited you're here. So I want to start just by having you introduce yourselves
2: so everybody can
3: hear who's who, hear your voices.
2: Uh, I'm Snell Utoff. I'm an editor. Um, I've been editing for about 20 years.
3: My name is Amy Peters, and I'm also an editor. Um, Reality television, documentaries, you name it, I've done it all. Good. We're going to talk about it all today, hopefully, in a (laughs)
1: short time we have. Um, I want to start also by congratulating you both on your recent Emmy nomination. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. (laughs) What an honor. It's amazing. Is this the first for both of you? Yes. Yes. Wow. Okay, I'm going to read the categories because they're so long. Um, Amy, you were nominated for Outstanding Picture Editing for a Structured or Competition Reality Program right? Yes, ma'am. And Tanil, you were nominated for Outstanding Picture Editing for Variety Programming. Yep. That's so it. starting with the basic basics, what, is, what does that mean? What are those categories?
2: Well, I was nominated for, I worked uh, I work on Full Frontal with Samantha B and we, were, we did a special about Puerto Rico. So uh, I think late night shows and um, sketch variety shows all get sort of lumped together. So that's what that is.
3: In my case, I was nominated uh, for Queer Eye, and it's called competition structured reality obviously there's no competition occurring but um i think it just sort of is how they define the formatted docuseries that's uh just like queer eye is which is a standalone episode you know no over arching uh storylines or arcs and then uh It's just uh, makeovers, not just a makeover series, but you know it has that um, beginning, middle, and end structure. I guess is what it is. (laughs) Well,
1: anyone who listens to our uh, Indie Film Weekly podcast knows that I'm basically obsessed with Queer Eye, Mm -hmm. and I love Samantha B too. So I'm especially excited to have both of you here. I want to kind of start from the beginning and get into some basics, but before we do that, I'm curious just hearing about these different formats. Generally speaking, is there a different approach to editing different styles of programs or do you kind of have the same approach no matter what?
2: That's a really good question. I think, you know, good storytelling is good storytelling. Um, When you go into like a makeover, there's always like formats that the network, the producers are going to look for. Like, there are story points you have to hit on a makeover. You know, you have to see the haircut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, have yeah. to, you have to see, like, the transformation. But then when you come to comedy, comedy is... Uh, it's kind of a free-for-all. But there is still structure. Like, things have to make sense, especially on something like Samantha B where it is political. We're trying to have a point. We're trying to have a message. And it still has to be factual. Like, we have to still follow rules that the news does. Like, we can't just make stuff up. So... Yeah, I don't know, it's tricky. Y'all don't make that up? <laughs> no,
1: <laughs> no. Half the time it sounds like stuff's made up today, but that's that's another point. Oh,
3: my gosh. Uh, yeah, I uh, love Samantha Bees. And <laughs> I'm always looking at is she. I follow her Facebook because she's always like, it's going to be a good one. I'm like, yeah. So, <laughs> then we record it. Well,
1: Amy, do you have thoughts on sort of like different approaches to different styles of show?
3: My approaches personally really depends on who's running it. Because, you know, my personal approach to editing is to figure out the story first, cut it into a sensible radio cut, as we call it, because it makes sense listening to it like you're listening to this and then make it pretty and then Mm -hmm. make it sound good. But a lot of times uh, schedule doesn't really allow for your process and you just sort of slapping things together and then (laughs) it's like gets really expensive and uh, long winded to figure it out. And, uh, you know, other people just need to see it the way they want to see it. And that's cool. That's my job. And I'm putting it together. But uh, that's definitely my preference, figure out the story on paper. It sounds easy, but, you know, some people are visual. They need to hear the music. That's cool. You know, that's fine. But my process is that. That's interesting about the money-saving aspect. You know,
1: a lot of our listeners are independent, and it may seem like – instinctually the opposite, that like if you, you know, you want to just put it together as fast as you can with all the elements, but actually it may save you time in the end to do what feels like a longer process of, of putting out the sort of like stringing out the audio bits
3: Oh, I heck have, yeah. yeah. You have um, people who hire the editors too early, and I like them because they hire me <laughs> and then I get to work. <laughs> but um, no, for real, like as a, a somebody who would like to ste- step into overseeing post-production process a little bit, it's fascinating what you can save just by hiring. Like it looks like a line item or it looks like an added week, and on paper it looks expensive. But when you pay really expensive people to do not expensive things, then it just sort of adds on, unfortunately, you know. And budgets are blown. and schedules are blown. They also do unrealistic schedules a lot, and mm. it's just um,
2: Right, once you get into, like, the, the point where you're just doing notes, where you're just spending weeks and weeks doing notes from, like, five, ten people, you're not really editing anymore. You're just trying to cobble together a story from – 10 different viewpoints. Aye. It doesn't make for a better product.
1: Well, so we should probably step back and kind of walk through the process so that <laughs> folks even understand, you know, once we're what getting we're to saying. notes. But before <laughs> we get there, then, let's talk about how you both broke in mm. and any advice you might have for, for uh, editors wanting to break into TV.
2: Um, well, I got involved in editing, I think, at a good time where not everyone had Avid on their computer. So having the skill of editing was very rare. And so I was an assistant for maybe a year and then got hired as an editor. But I think now um, it's really, it's tough for assistants because they are basically just doing technical work. They're not doing anything creative. Um, I think my only advice would just be, you kind of have to do the extra step. You have to ask editors, can I do something for you? It's not going to be assigned to you. You have to literally put that extra effort into, if you actually want to be an editor. And I know so many assistants now who are just happy to do the technical stuff. Because that's her thing, which is cool too.
3: Yeah, we like those people. <laughs> um, well, I could, you know, I know people who spent money on film school to learn stuff, and then they're sitting in the chair next to me, and they have a different path that they took. In my case, um, and and what I would just recommend for assistance these days as well is just do the work. The only reason I became an editor is because editors are expensive and I needed somebody to cut my film (laughs) and so I learned how to do it and my buddy was like you should be an editor and I was like no for like two years I avoided it and then I was like um you know when I finished my film I was like okay now it's time to stop the day job burning the midnight oil paradigm and actually do something in the industry and so I went into post and It turns out I quite like a climate-controlled box in the dark (laughs) that I can create things. (laughs) You know, people give me a box of Legos, and I make something out of it, and that's a fun thing to do all day.
1: I love that metaphor. I was at a a great um, editor's panel at South by Southwest, and they said something about, like, an editor has a paint, like a box of paint with everybody's colors in it and then they get to make the painting mm-hmm. yeah that's of interesting yeah but I the like legos to, is fun
3: yeah well I like to reckon everybody's visions you know maybe some folks get annoyed with that process but I'm very team-oriented and collaborative in spirit that's the other reason why I like editing because you really are just you can't be precious about something you you know it's gonna and as long as you kind of get it, it doesn't hurt that much. It's just sort of part of it. And it's fun in the end. Everybody made a thing together. It's cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that actually brings up a question.
1: Um, who do you work with? When, when you're a TV editor, are you working with the producers of the show, the directors of the show, the
2: network? Um, it depends on the show. It depends on how the show is set up. So, like sometimes uh, you'll work with the field producers who actually directed the sequence and – or the project, and then they'll come into the edit, um, and then they become story producers. Um, But sometimes, you know, those uh, positions are um, segmented.
3: Depends on the show. Yeah, usually in your uh, standard docu-series on uh, cable network, you have the editor that is paired with what's called a post-producer, and they're the folks who watch the footage beginning, middle, and all the way through. And piece together the story ahead of time. And they hand you what is called string outs, quote-unquote. In the old days, I suppose it was like paper cuts. where um, And that's an interesting evolution, I think. But anyway. And so they give you a string of footage. And you have to um, tailor it and cut it into a thing that makes sense and feels organic. And uh, that's your scene. And you usually approach it scene by scene. Mm. And then you guys put your you're a team together and then you pass it up to the supervising producer and then or co ep and then it's called an internal rough cut when you send it to their bosses. Okay, I'm not sure I totally followed that. So you're working with a story
1: producer in the in the edit suite. Right. And then you've put something rough together and then it goes to their boss.
3: Yeah, well, our team leader, which is usually a supervising producer or a co-EP, depending, and what their job is is to manage the entire, all the episodes and edit. So we all answer to that central person who then sends it up the ladder. And are you communicating with other editors working on other episodes or other scenes in your episode, or does that all come together later? Depends. Do you own your episode, or are you all hands on deck trying to get something out the door?
2: Yeah. I think on Samantha B, it's different. Like, we all work on our individual project. It's very rare that we split the workload. And we worked with uh, the producer who's taken it from start to finish. <clears throat> and then so we'll put together something in the edit. And then we'll show it to the execs. And um, the great thing about Full Frontal is we don't really get a lot of network feedback. Like, they trust us. So everything kind of happens in the room. Like, everybody comes in the edit to watch, to give notes. And it's a pretty quick process. Makes it much easier, I think. I envy you. (laughs) Yeah, it's (laughs) so much easier when you can actually hear the feedback being spoken to you Mm. than, like, being given notes on a paper.
3: Totally. I love to sit with executives to hear what they're visceral responses at the moment versus something they like may have jotted down. Um, but, you know, written notes are cool too.
1: I
2: guess <laughs> if someone's
3: in the room, at least you can
1: maybe have a conversation.
2: Right. Like sometimes they'll be like, well, what if, about if this happened? And you can be like, well, that never happened. So like, let's find another solution. hmm. And you see
3: what they care about, too, because I always try to do what they want, obviously, and um, you sometimes you have to do the spirit of the notes. Mm-hmm. It's not quite possible, but uh, f- exactly what their um, idea is. However, there's A, B, and C options, so that's always better to work out in person. Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. you,
2: you don't want them to think that you're ignoring their notes. Oh, it's really yeah. more like it's just impossible to do. Right.
3: Yeah, like, I always um, am like, if it didn't get done, there's a reason, you know, talk to us, so. So, I didn't really think about this until you were just
1: talking about it, but I guess with a show like Samantha B, it's nightly. No, no, once a week. Oh, it's once a week. Yeah. Okay, but then Queer Eye comes out as a whole season. Mm. So, are your deadlines kind of different, the the de- delivery sort of process? For
2: oh, I think, well, I mean, I'm not sure how Queer Eye works. I'm assuming Queer Eye works like most reality shows, mm-hmm. where it's just a... Uh, the process of notes is endless, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know how Netflix is giving
3: notes, but... Uh, I uh, love Netflix. Jen Levy was uh, previously at Bravo, and she's at Netflix now, and she's a badass. I love oh, right. Her. Yeah. But, um, well, so I think maybe a cool answer to, to your question is an hour-long show usually should take eight to ten. 10, 12 weeks to get to Rough Cut. Okay. Because you can break it down roughly an act a week, and an hour-long show has six acts, and act one is always the pain because it's setting up the show, and you spend a lot of time doing it. And so that breaks down to about, you know, I would say about eight weeks to get it into a place that's watchable. And then you go on to um, get feedback, and then you have another two weeks to fine cut in another two so an hour show like Queer Eye is easily 10 to 12 weeks um, before it's close to lock whereas you guys do your stuff in a week
2: yeah well we have field pieces and then we have the actual show show but the field pieces usually take two to four weeks it really depends on the field piece like how intricate it is but if it's just like an interview that we can do those in a few days you know just a sit down one-on-one interview but a field piece that has like um you know homages to film noir whatever uh more effects more intercutty montage <clears throat> it's going to take a few weeks
1: so something like the puerto rico piece right. was probably a longer process <laughs> uh
2: the puerto rico piece we actually hired two extra editors we got that uh together pretty quickly like in four or five weeks wow yeah no it was uh it was pretty intense yeah
1: So then what, like, take us through a mini process. So just talking about the Puerto Rico piece, Mm -hmm.
2: talk through kind of, like, what that process was. Um, So if the Puerto Rico piece is kind of a bunch of field pieces put together. Um, So it was similar to doing a field piece for the actual show that we do every week, um, just sort of accelerated. (laughs) It's really more like you just had less time to fine-tune and maybe think through things as much as you'd want to. But, yeah, you're just sitting down with the story producer they give you a script and then you put it together and then you just sort of see how it goes. And you're rewriting VO, you're putting in v- uh, B-roll and music. And then once we had all the field pieces and you had to figure out how to make them work together. Um, so then you're writing VO to sort of aid all the pieces together. Yeah, it was just, uh, it was just like mayhem. <laughs> it was a lot of people working, running from room to room, trying to get it all together wow. quickly.
3: I think that sounds fun, though. Like, I like being in the trenches and (laughs) figuring things out. As long as everybody is in the spirit of the team and, you know, not throwing in their Game of Thrones battles back and forth of politics (laughs) and intrigue. It's like, I don't know. Can I just go home after this? Thanks. Bye. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) I want to take a nap. (laughs)
1: That actually reminds me too. I, I'm wondering structurally again for people that might want to break into the industry: are, is everyone freelance on a show,
2: or mm-hmm. are there staff editors? No, I don't know any staff editors anywhere. So I even think a few, there's a few places I have like a exist. couple, but yeah, they're pretty rare.
3: I mean, you you'll go to a production company and be put on a show, and it's like, how long have you been here? 13 years since we began, and I'm like, that's cool, but they're still not staff. Oh wow, probably right, you know. Um, That's interesting that there's, you know,
1: palace intrigue and drama, even when you're a freelancer, you have to get caught up
3: in all that. Oh, please. <laughs> I th- my joke is always like ed- knowing how to edit is maybe 5% of the job and then the rest is dealing with the situation.
1: Wow! Can you give some examples without you know naming names or?
3: Uh, yeah, I love to talk examples. No, um, <laughs> the scenario is like um- if
1: someone again is listening to this and they're thinking I could get into this what are some situations they might find themselves in that they didn't necessarily expect?
3: Well, the too many cooks in the kitchen one is probably a really good example. So, you know, two people putting their brains together and creating a thing is a relatively straightforward process. You just sort of um, take... that Somebody lays down the tracks. You have an interpretation of it. They have an interpretation of your interpretation. Next thing you know, it's like, fine, it's done. It's like not bad but then you have like their bosses you have production companies that are collaborating so you have all the and everybody cares which they should and I welcome that um but it does get a little back and forth so it's how do you handle the note where somebody says bad track (laughs) <laughs> or something <laughs> like, um, okay, cool. Music's subjective. It's you always get it wrong. That's another thing. It's just like expect music notes, mm. and um, which is cool. Sometimes I'll put in things to move forward and know that they're not perfect. But um, sometimes speed is better than the perfect track, you know. And um, you know, I it's just how you – so you have to have the thick skin to accept a note that's like really rude. And then um, you have to, like, agree with somebody else whether it's done or not. And then somebody else doesn't like the decision that was made to swap it. And then you got to put it back. And, again, that's my job. I'm the guy putting it there. But it's tough to navigate sometimes. Yeah. Do you have any advice or things you've learned over these years
1: for
2: how to sort of manage those situations? Um, I think you just kind of have to – I mean, you want to care about your work, but sometimes you have to stack back and be like, these are the people paying to yeah. get this job done, so you can. give them what they want.
3: Right, give them what they want. It's not a competition, you know. It's just sort of like that's totally it. And knowing the, that that's what you face as an editor, just because you know how to cut doesn't mean you're ready to edit, you know, because of that. And I think that um, – the diplomacy required, I say, thick skin, be able to accept tough notes, and don't be precious.
1: Yeah,
2: you can't get attached to anything you cut. Well,
3: that's hard. That
1: seems really hard to care
3: I
2: enough I think a, and you, at the same young time. editors often, you can tell them they're young editors because they get so angry when they get notes. <laughs> <coughs> you gotta be like, you gotta, school, gotta let it go. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> well, I know that there are some, some directors and producers listening, and that makes me curious sort of on, on their behalf, what... What's a good way to give notes? How do you love, other than, this is awesome, we're done. Uh-huh. Uh, how do you like to receive notes? What What are some constructive ways to give notes? Be <laughs> constructive. I,
2: I was going to say, it's a, just remember that you're actually speaking to a person. Yeah. I think that's really, sometimes people, when they give you notes, they're, like, I made these choices in an edit, like, not callously. Like, I was trying to be thoughtful and be productive. So, you know, I think when you speak to me, take that into account.
3: Yeah, and the fact that you spend all day toiling over something. And no, it's not right. It's not exactly there yet. Everything's a first pass. Don't be mean to me.
2: Yeah, like, that's pretty much it.
3: <laughs> um, but no, seriously, I like shows where there's a vision and an idea to begin with. And I know that sounds crazy, crazy and obvious but there are lots of situations I walk into and there's no choice made Mm. and it puts a lot on us to make decisions which is cool I can I'm capable but that really does just tee you up to get like punch right back down because it's like you're just throwing something out there and then they're like um finally they find their vision
2: finally after they see what you did right
3: then they have all the answers and which is i mean again i guess some folks are like that you have different brains different people who learn and and be, and do their job in different ways and i always try to embrace what people are good at like if you're good with wrangling talent and but not necessarily a script writer then i'm going to depend and focus on getting that talent out of them you know if possible
0: Soundstripe's mission is to keep creatives creating. They provide video content creators affordable access to their growing collection of royalty-free music. Your membership unlocks unlimited licenses to their uniquely curated music library. Soundstripe offers a great variety of songs, and their unlimited licensing model is one of a kind in the industry. Soundstripe is designed to make it easy, profitable, and fun for you to add great music to your videos. Their members can vouch for them. Just ask Matt from Texas, who said, quote, As a wedding filmmaker and YouTuber, I am constantly searching for new music. Soundstripe helps fill this need by giving filmmakers like myself an incredible gift, high quality music from talented artists that is legal to use in our films. For the quality of music Soundstripe offers, you can't find a better price. Save 10% on a Soundstripe subscription using the promo code NOFILMSCHOOL at checkout. Create with confidence, create with Soundstripe. That's soundstripe.com.
1: So you, you had started to talk about the diplomacy aspect. Are there other qualities that you think make a good editor?
2: Um, I think being, I think really good editors are fluent in a lot of storytelling styles. <clears throat> My favorite editors know lots of different films, are really into music. Um, yeah.
3: Yeah, musicians who are editors.
2: Yeah. Those are kind of cool.
1: That makes a lot of sense because they have to understand rhythm. And right.
2: Beats. Have empathy. Like, uh, I think you always have to have empathy for your characters. And um, I'm
3: I'm not patting myself on the back. But <laughs> I think uh, I find that my colleagues are very intelligent. They're very smart. They're calculating. They're patient. They deal with tedium well. Um, and they're committed and they're focused. You have to have kind of a laser focus. You have to be able to sit in the dark and do things. And I, that was actually what intimidated me most about it because I'm kind of scattered. In real life, I am. You know, but when I'm sewing together a timeline, I'm in the zone mm. and uh, it kind of feels good. You mm-hmm. know, it's nice to have focus.
2: It's like when you get puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. There's something relaxing about putting together a story. Yeah. I think.
3: Oh, it's very puzzly. I'm like, okay, let me Tetris this together because that's kind of the shapes that <laughs> you're doing sometimes.
1: Right. On a timeline, it literally yeah. looks like a Tetris board. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you both have referred to this idea of a good story and you have to know how to make a good story. So what, what are some of those elements?
3: Well, f- uh, I, the thing in reality TV, the big thing is organic. Does it, does this feel like this is really happening? Is this a natural conversation? Um, and you, the audience can tell, I think when things are a little more contrived, and then the network knows that they can tell. And so we get a lot of, like, you know, we need to make it more natural. So that's all about timing, putting air in and taking it out. Mm. And things in that happen that in conversation naturally, like when you go and you edit this, uh, you'll probably realize we jumped around a little bit or whatever, whatever. And so you're just re- putting somebody's thought and sentiment together in a sens- sentence, basically so they can fit it in three and a half minutes or whatever. I mean, that feels like a a technical sort of aspect to just
1: make a scene that feels, um, Mm. yeah, that feels like this might actually be happening in reality, Um, especially if you're cutting something out and then have to make it flow. But I'm wondering even more about, like, story points. Are there things you look for? Are there, you know, how do you know when you have a good moment? Mm -hmm. That
2: kind of thing. I think... Honestly, it all comes down to the characters. You have to like the characters. You have to understand their viewpoint and where they're coming from. And then when you introduce um, the antagonist, you know, in Samantha B., there's always, uh, if we're doing a, a piece about, say, I think we did a piece like in, um, sorry, there's felons in Miami who are trying to get um, rights, voting rights back for felons. And um, it, was, it was originally centered on the guy who was trying to stop them And then I was trying to pressure, like, the guys who were actually trying to get get everyone to sign the petitions were so charming, unlikable. So starting the the piece from their viewpoint and then introducing the antagonist just made it just such a joyous piece, you know, rather than a, I don't know, a hateful piece. You know, it was just like, it was so much funner to watch from their viewpoint.
1: Mm. And then he might seem even more like a bad guy because yeah, you've already like <laughs> come to like the good guys, so exactly, to speak. Exactly,
2: exactly.
3: Well, and I would venture to say that struc- technical things like structure uh, and is storytelling. Like, to answer your question, I suppose, better um, is that. But also, you know, it's just like screenwriting in a way because I started screenwriting. So you just look at each scene in each moment and even the interviews you select and you're like, whose point of view is it? What is the point and purpose of the scene? And then you choose what's said. That's what editing, I suppose in the storytelling is like, you just choose things to the end, to means to the end, And then, um, you see where that falls overall. And then you just, um, un- for all this piece of you know a timeline a sequence that delivers the information in the way that compels you mm-hmm. and and the carrot develop the characters in a way that um you relate to relatability and what their stakes are you just ask yourself this question each scene what is their motivation? What do they want? Where are we in the timeline? And so what are we doling out right now? And what breadcrumb are we laying down for the story? And that's why story producers are always so amazing and helpful is because they watch that. Because as editors, we're like looking at little things inside a teeny tiny little scene. And the overall overarching aspect is what they're monitoring and making sure that you're giving out the information in the right places that makes sense. And mm. it's compelling mm-hmm. and it's really hard. <laughs> it's a really hard thing to do. That's why I'm saying like, please give us eight weeks to a rough cut. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> so I'm sure some people listening are thinking, you know, well we're film people and it is this age of peak TV, but I don't know. You know what would you say to, to encourage people? people to enter the the TV world what's a good thing about working in
3: TV bread and butter (laughs) it's where the job is I mean that's why I did it you knew me (laughs) back then where I was like I need to do this for a living and honestly it was the best thing I ever did for my craft because I know how to put a story together for real Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm an editor and so as a creator of content I am thankful I love it
2: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't. uh, I think if you want consistent work, television is the better option. But honestly, if your passion's movies, you should go for movies. (laughs) I always tell like assistant editors, like the you should always uh, go after exactly what you want to be in like twenty years. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to work in scripted, don't start in documentary or reality. Go straight to scripted.
3: True story. There's so you're so easily pigeonholed. But, however, one of the best advice somebody has ever given me in my career is diversify. Mm. When I started editing, this guy who's now a VP, he's awesome, he's an editor, with me on this MTV show called Totally Clueless. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) that's so MTV of a certain era. (laughs) Hey, that was a cute show. Um, no, but he, but he said diversify. He says, you know, it's going to hurt a lot going gig to gig, like doing six weeks, four weeks here, because obviously you want to keep working and it's, it's tempting to take the nine month gig, but he said, diversify your resume. And that's exactly what I did. I've done house shows, competition shows, docuseries, ensemble comedy, and each sensibility that I, um, seasoned along the way I think contributes to my overall ability to make a thing and make it good Mm, it's great
1: advice I'm also curious on that note how do you sort of convince a, a production company to hire you if you've done a cooking show but not a makeover show that vexes
3: a lot of folks.
2: <laughs> I think it's definitely getting tougher now. We're literally the job posting will be like, I only want people who have build shows. Mm-hmm. I only want people who have cooking shows. And I think we are lucky to be in the industry long enough where that wasn't always the case.
3: Well, also the jobs, I think, are thinning out a little bit. So they it's a buyer's market. So they can choose, you know. I think I lucked out starting out In a time where you couldn't pay to find a um, cheap editor or something somebody told me at the time. So then you're going to hire that competition show editor for your recree show because why not? They're a good editor. They're employed in the industry. They can do the job, I promise. However, (laughs) you know, somebody fixates on that and they just have to kind of compromise a little because nobody else is available. (laughs) <laughs> That's what I lucked out. I also from. feel
2: like the schedules now have gotten so short that they don't want to have to teach somebody a new mm. jo- way of doing things. Like a cooking show mm. has like the elements you have to always hit. A, a makeover show has elements you have to hit. Um, so your first episode in a new genre, I guess, is I don't think it's tough. I think all editors are capable of doing it. If you're a good yes. editor, you can do it. But mm-hmm. yeah, um,
3: but you do have to be. The first one, somebody does kind of have to like, maybe I like, I, for example, I like looking at sequences. Somebody will send you a link on a, to a show that you're about to go edit. I almost never get to watch it cause I want to see it on the sequence. Mm. So, and that's how I learned, you know, along the way I just saw, like if I started a competition show and it was my first or whatever, I would go in and see how they did the earlier cut and copy it. Sometimes. Shot by shot in a way <laughs> Like if it's a competition show Okay right. serious look From this guy now Right, you know? right. Okay So you want to see there. The building blocks Right That And then, makes then sense. I just copy it That'll mess around <laughs> <laughs> I'm not reinventing The wheel on a competition show You know <laughs> And they don't want you to Exactly yeah, Exactly yeah. Precisely.
1: Um, so speaking of your 20 years uh, advice or, you know, your 20 years in the industry, your advice that you received early on, um, as a final question, what advice would you now give um, given all your experience?
3: Think <laughs> about law school. Go be a doctor. Yes, go hedge <laughs> funds. Get a real job. <laughs>
2: um, honestly, I think at this point, I looking back, I don't think I understood, like, how many how many how the long hours mm. would really affect your life. Mm. Um, yeah, it's tricky. It's not for everybody.
3: It's not. I, I say bring humility, you know, because I was an editor before I started reality TV, and I was like, oh, i got to step back and be an AE. And uh, thank goodness. I was humbled by that. You Did know? you really
2: step back and become an AE? Did yeah. Going to reality? Well, yeah. Yeah.
3: For, but, I, but I was like an associate producer, producer, production manager, and then I edited things, editor. Um, so I kind of needed it. And uh, f- when that kicked my ass, I was like, oh, okay. And I think that that's the approach you have to take. You're going to have to work hours. If you want to move up, you take extra work. You know that people are going to be judgmental of your gender. You know, that they um, want to know where you live and how far you are from the office. Do you have kids really? that will take you away? <laughs> like, they want you to sign uh, their NDA in blood, <laughs> you know, or whatever. <laughs> and the crew d- deal memo that you're, you, they, you have to be a good soldier and get through it. And you're not complaining. You're just on the team and moving forward, getting to deadline.
2: Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> so just, so
3: the hours, man, just be prepared. <laughs>
2: what kind of hours are we talking? Oh, like I usually work 50 to 60 hours a week.
3: Yeah, the y- the way that a lot of contracts are stipulated is that they, um, you say what your rate is, and then they put eight hours plus two hours overtime on your 10-hour day, and that's base.
2: And they will take advantage of that entire two oh, hours. Oh, yeah. So you're <laughs>
3: gonna start? You plan on working a ten-hour day? Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Okay.
2: If not
3: twelve. Mm-hmm. When I was an AE man, I would be there sixteen hours a day to get something done. I'm
2: exhausted already. Yeah, no, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And but it's fun. And it's, it's a lot of good times. It's
3: really great because then those people that you were there with all those hours, y'all have a story to tell of your own, you right, know? Right, right. They're I mean, your buddies. That's my favorite part about production for
1: sure is like you have these many families over and over again. Um, mm-hmm. And we can we try to end on a positive note because I know that was like yeah. a little <laughs> intense. So what's the, what's the best part about your job?
2: Um, it's fun to make content that people love like it's very exciting that people watch what I make and are so excited by it like that's super fun
3: yeah we're like little kids just saying look at what I made (laughs) uh no I love to be able to have an idea and present it and have people take it however they take it and um it's I just have always been a storyteller and am all about arts and crafts and Nothing is more arts and craftsy than trying to put together a terrible reality show. <laughs> <laughs>
2: not Queer Eye. It's and the good ones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Queer
3: Eye was great. Queer Eye so good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, thank you both so much. This was very instructive and fun, too. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thanks, Liz. Thanks for listening. Let's all root for Amy and Tennille at the upcoming Emmy Awards this fall. If you liked this conversation, come back for a new conversation every Monday. And on Thursdays, don't miss our Indie Film Weekly News Show that fills you in on everything you might have missed when you were busy making films. You can get any of these by searching for the No Film School podcast in iTunes or your favorite app. Also, be sure to visit NoFilmSchool.com for useful new filmmaking articles every single day. Meanwhile, stay in touch. You can reach me on Twitter at LizFilm, and we are on Twitter at NoFilmSchool. See you on Thursday.